Okay, we are back. It is behind the DM screen. It is July of 2018. We are three DMs talking about our games and helping each other out. And that's all the intro. You Well, okay. Mike, say hello. Hello. Sam, say hello. Hello. And I'm Jeff. All right, that's all the intro you get. Mike, you are up first. 15 minutes on the clock. Talk about your game. Uh, so I am running Tomb of Annihilation. I am running two... Twice. I'm running it... What? Twice. Yes. And back to back. So I, I run a game on Wednesday and I run a game on Sunday. Uh, both groups, they're, they're kind of going down different paths. Uh, one of them spent a lot of time dealing with the pirates of Jahaka Bay, which, as you recall, I, I, I added the complication that they are, in fact, vampires. Um, I, I also added that into my Wednesday game, but they have not they didn't bite on that hook. So they, they're kind of left. They, they said, yeah, that's bad guys. And maybe we'll come back and handle that after this whole, you know, death plague death curse thing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the unfortunate thing was that uh, both groups ended up going down the Western River. Um, sorry, I have a cat that I'm continually throwing off my desk. <laughs> so uh, both are. um going down the western river which meant they hit a lot of the same locations and i had a bunch of places that i had read about where i was like oh man it's a real bummer that we were not going there uh Nang was it nangalore uh one of them is the place with a um medusa okay that is one of the major um sort of one of the major characters that's able to by the way this is totally full of tomb of annihilation spoilers if you didn't already know that um yeah, so there's like a ruined city where the one of the former queens of Omu has been cursed and turned into a Medusa, and she is she has a bunch of those. Um, uh, I think they're called eblises, which are these like huge evil cranes. And, that was one of my favorite parts. That name, right? Or, so I read that. Yeah, I read that section, good. and I was like, man, this is really good. And I was sad. Like I, I figured, well, okay, one group didn't go there, but maybe the other group will, and they didn't. So I'm like, this sucks. So I just moved it and stuck it over in the west. <laughs> Heck yeah. Yeah, and um, I had uh, some interesting sort of uh, that Aracocra came to the party and said, hey, we've heard about you and we heard that you killed Nanny Poo Poo and that's pretty incredible. How would you we, we have an issue. We have a heir to Omu that we are trying to protect. And um, if you will clear Omu for us, we will um, uh, we'll give you a gift. But in order to get this, we'll give you a gift that can help you get to Omu really quickly. And But in order for us to give you this gift, you have to get a rose, and the rose is in this uh, garden, right? And we don't, we're not allowed to go there. We can't go there. So the party's like, yeah, that sounds cool. So they went there. And um, I had one of, my, one of my favorite sessions, I think, in a long time. Um, because I don't think they fought. Oh, they did fight something, but they didn't fight anything that was there. And they ended up having a really interesting sort of parlay with the Medusa. They knew it was a Medusa. They figured that out. The party certainly knew. The players certainly knew. And the characters, you know, they, they kind of played like the characters, you know, knew enough to be cautious. But it's this like, you know, figure, this female figure who's shrouded. And they're like, yeah. And there's all these like statues. And I kept playing up like there's these statues, but they're not on any bases. Like nobody put a base underneath them. But they're also like really articulate. And like somebody spent a lot of work <laughs> on the statue of somebody screaming, you know. And they're like, wow, that's weird. 
you know. Really? Um, How long have they been playing D and D? I think they, they were like, "Wow, that's so." I, I want to investigate this more, right? Like everybody's hamming it up. Oh man. Okay. So were they? So, were they like they knew what was going on and they were buying right, into it? Immediately. Or? Immediately on seeing a statue that screams, like, yeah, Medusa. Everybody watch out for the Medusa. Okay. You know, like, everybody got the mirrors, right? But then they're then they like, wow, this is so weird, you know? So that, that's always fun. Like, when people know to metagame, but they also know to kind of in-character. Good for them. Ham, ham it up. Yeah, it was a good time. Anyway, they, they ended up, they, they did mess with the ashes. One of the whole things is, like, the Medusa, uh, the, the, the former queen of Omu, had a lover who died, and she hated him. Until he had died, and then they brought his ashes to her, and she realized, wow, he didn't betray me. He actually loved me all this time. And if you disturb the ashes, it's a fight. And our group opened the ashes, but didn't, like, mess with them. And I was like, wow, that's really close. And one of the, um, uh, one of the Eblises saw our rogue do that. And... Then they, you know, they're talking to the Medusa and they're they're saying, hey, we, we have another heir. The Medusa's crazy, right? She's she's both thinks she is the current queen of Omu and also realizes that she's not at the same time. Like she's got crazy, you know, issues going on. So the party, meanwhile, is convincing her and, and the bard starts like playing a song about her and, and her lover, you know, sort of ad-libbing this song. And she's, like, taken by it. She's like, this is wonderful, and I love it. And then the Eblis is like, you know, they disturbed the ashes. <laughs> and she's like, you did what? You know, and then, they're, they're, then they had, like, backpedal from that. And finally they said, hey, we can have a ceremony. We can bind you to your lover. You know, we can, we can you know, and they were going to use a spell called ceremony. And one of the features of the spell, one of the options for the spell is marriage. So she said, you know, we never were married. It would be wonderful if, the, the spirit of my lover and I could be could be married, you know. So they went all to the temple and they he sang the song and there was this ritual that took place and p- people are doing religion checks in order to make it, and it worked right. And she had this sort of moment where they could she could see her lover, and you know they embraced and you know she's still kind of cursed but she's now less you know it's it's the the the, the pain of it is somewhat gone. So that was really nice. And it was this crazy fun role play scene with these crazy fun twists and turns that's not in the adventure at all. You know, it's kind of there, but not really. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it worked out really well. And then she says, hey, I can show you what I think is going on with the death curse. And they're like, OK. So she looks into the pool that's there. And she says, wait, I see it. It's a shadow. And then she starts to get overtaken as the Atropol comes out of the pool. And <laughs> in, in her dream state, she manifested a version of it. And now the party's like, what in the hell is that? And then that, and it starts kill, kicking their asses. And now they're like, oh my God, you know? So they're trying to break out of her trance where she is literally like manifesting an aspect of this thing and dodging it. And it gave me a chance to like, let me try canning. Mm-hmm. When they have to fight for real. Um, you know, it was a threat, but they were also, half of them were kind of beating on it, and the other half were trying to get the Medusa out of her state. And they finally got her out of her state, and the Atropol disappeared. And like, oh my god, that was terrible. So, that was an interesting venture. How, did, I, how did you rule the whole, they're trying to get her out of her dream state? How did you handle that? Uh, skill checks, like they had to do it a few times. The whole trope, you know, the whole, the whole fallback of you have to, you know, you have to break her trance three times in order for her to fully get out of it. So right. it's like three three skill check as as an action. So it's kind, of, kind a, of like a mini skill challenge sort of thing. Yeah, kind of right. Sort of an add, you know, I, all these things I I sort of improvise yeah. now, right? I, I don't really build skill challenges anymore. I just kind of 
Yeah, but the Wait, the the but that's kind of how the yeah, off the cuff yeah. improv improvisation thing is. is th I, I'm always curious, like how, how does one do that? Because yeah, and that's my I, everybody seems to do the, it differently than I do. So I was just curious. The other one is a lot of times. Um, a lot of times I'll have it inflict damage. I think I did. I think I had that happen in this case where, as they're trying to break her trance, it's inflicting damage to the atropol every time mm. they succeed. And since the atropol has all these resistances and stuff, they were doing way more damage by messing with her than they were by trying to mess with the Atropol. Right. Now, when they fight the Atropol, they won't have that opportunity. They'll have to fight it for real. Um, so that was that was interesting, and that was a fun thing. I like that scene a lot, you know, and I, and I for, for those that, you know, if, they, if their party, if people's party goes off track, that's, bringing that in just by moving it, by moving its location is fun. Mm -hmm. um, it also gave me a chance to kind of tie in a role play scene with one of the characters. Uh, none of the other players actually know this, and, and hey, players at my game, if you're listening to this, stop listening. Um, but uh, one of the characters is an assassin, and she is uh, she has an alliance with Jessamine, who runs the assassins in Port Nyanzaru. And unbeknownst to her, Jessamine is able to scry on her because she has a dagger that Jessamine saw. And Jessamine's sort of attuned to the dagger and, and is able to scry and say what's going on. And she said, oh my god, there's an heir to Omu who's going to try to bring back the empire. And the merchant princes do not want an empire back. Sure. So they, they sent her a message saying you need to tell us where this heiress is and all that's all you have to do just where is she and we'll take care of the rest right and and we can never let a new empress come back into power in chult and now the player had to decide do i answer the message or not and she didn't you know she she mm -hmm. said i'm, I'm not going to answer i'm not going to answer them and i'm like okay now that's interesting because now jessamine is like uh-oh i thought i could control these people and i can't you know so so there's this fun subplot that's really between me and one character, and mm -hmm. the, or one, and none of the other characters even know that it occurred. That well, it it's between you and one and one character until until the you know yeah, the team of assassins shows up to kill them. Yeah, the hard part there is like, how did the hell did they get halfway you know all the way across Omu mm. or all the way across you know Chult? So I don't even know if that's going to come out, but it might. And then, uh, but you if, know, if if they're scrying, they have the location. A teleport can work. Yeah, right. A teleport can do it, but then the it's like, well, why the hell they teleport us? <laughs> like, why we have to? They couldn't see it. They didn't know where you were going. Yes, yeah. So I can <laughs> do it, and if I, you know, who knows? That that it might happen. Right. We'll see. Or it might not happen. You know, it might just be this open thread, or it might happen, but it might. I don't know what my players are going to want to do after they get through the whole tomb. And I also think like they're going to be busy as hell in the tomb. Mm. So you know whether that thread comes back or not, we'll see. But it was a fun thing. A fun Maybe thing the Assassins Guild reaches out to to what's his name, Ross and C, and and makes yeah. a, makes a deal with him. Like you, you, yeah, you, you get you get rid of them and and find out what's going on with this heiress or whatever, and and we'll pay you or whatever. Yeah, that's not a bad that's not a bad idea. I like that. Yeah, I can. I I did can, something I can right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm having lots of fun with Ross Nisi and the fact that he's also tied to the show. Um, I'm, I have two groups where that's taking place. I don't know if that that happened in my Wednesday group, but it happened in my Sunday group where the the, the Yuanti are actually sort of in awe of one of the characters because he has the Ashodo, which is this like huge shadow demon, as his warlock patron, and they think that the you know the avatar the you know the 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 aspect of the Ashodo can actually open the doors in um the southern reaches of chult uh to the um uh to release dendar the night serpent 
Mm. So they sort of want him to go there and open these big doors. And he's like, well, maybe we'll do that after we're done with the dungeon. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be really interesting. Like a super high level, you know, crazy, crazy situation of the the doorway to Dendar the Night Serpent. I had had Dendar in my my, uh, 1 to 30 uh, 4E campaign. Really? Uh, yeah. And I think I I, st- I statted him basically as a Tarrasque, just sort of reskinned. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, so another topic, if I can switch, I don't know how much time I've got. You can, it's enough. in two minutes and 51 seconds. All right, so <laughs> I think last time we talked a little bit about this theory I had, and it was just a hypothesis of whether or not years of experience um and skill as a dungeon master whether there's any real solid correlation between the two mm-hmm. um and you know my, my 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 going my going hypothesis is that um the number of years that somebody has run D games and and how good they are as a dm aren't really that connected mm. you know there is a strong correlation now and that's after a certain amount of time like obviously you know you can't have no right. no experience but you know once you've had once you've got the solid basics down i think other variables end up um, coming the, the, to effect. The diminishing returns diminish pretty quickly. Yeah, and I and I I felt this uh, almost directly when I was at Origins um, uh, recently, and I played both one of the worst D and D games I ever played, and one of the and maybe I don't think maybe the best D and D game I ever played. And you know, no 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 big surprise, the DM who was running the game that I really didn't enjoy. Uh, had obviously run D&D for a long time. Mm. Uh, and the DM who ran the game that was my best game, she's been involved in D&D for a long time. Uh, but I don't, this is like, I think her first weekend as a D&D Adventures League uh, DM. Mm. And it was the best game I ever played. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, you know, there's two more data points out of... Had, a, a, oh, right. had the other guy been been playing Adventures League for a long time? Did you get that impression? Or organized play at yeah, some I, point? I, because I've seen him for years. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so I, I there's there's a so so this is a, a, a situation where uh, anecdotes are not data, right? <laughs> so yeah. even even yeah, lots I, of I, anecdotes are still not data. Uh, yeah. So I have other I have other data. Did I mention it up my, my whole talk with David Christ uh, of Baldman Games? I, I don't data? know that you have no. So so this was funny, right? I posted this on Twitter. And I got a lot of feedback from some people that, like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And other people, I, 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 as I predicted, I was going to get a bunch of people that nod their heads. And I was going to get a bunch of people that are like, you're an asshole. Oh, mm-hmm. can I say that? Yeah. And I can think you just did. But, but really, the truth is both are right. You know, those are right. not mutually exclusive. Right. Um, but, uh, but a bunch of you know, people who have been playing for a long time with the recognition that I've been playing for a long time have you know said i really am proud of the fact that i played for this long and and you know i remember like grandpa saying things like the the people that went through second and 3.3 and 3.5 and 4e and 5 they carried the torch for all the people that are playing now mm-hmm. and you're like okay that that's you know that that's a good point that doesn't mean they're good dms um so anyway i asked right. David, all, all of those things can be true so far yeah all those things <laughs> can still be true so one of them but you bring up a point which is an anecdote is not data so i said well where do we have i'll be quick I was like, where do we have data on this? And I thought, you know, David Christ runs Baldwin Games. They probably, he probably has more direct contact with the largest number of DMs of anybody in the world, Mm. right? He runs hundreds of games at multiple conventions a year. And they survey the DM, they survey the players. They do. Mm -hmm. So I said, so I asked him on Twitter and I said, you know, you have this survey data. Is one of the things that you track how long people have been running D&D games? And he said, no. 
And I was like, why not? And he goes, because there's no correlation between how long they've been running and how good they are. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that's, that's a big data point. Right? Although he doesn't he, actually know that if he doesn't been collecting the data. Does, but yeah, okay. Right. He, he doesn't have the data, so how can he actually say that? His gut is uh, that. He has a tremendous amount of experience. Yes. <laughs> right? And more, way more than I would say anyone else. And no reason, no no bias that would lead him in one direction or the other. Sure. Right? Like, so, so I, I, I thought that was very interesting. And what he did say is for, they have been tracking it for DMs over time. And he said some DMs, they have a tremendous growth where they, they start with poor ratings and they get better. And then many of them, he said, they, they are at a certain rating and they stay there the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, so that, that I thought was sort of an interesting data point. And, and my point for bringing it, I'll, I'll be real quick, but it was yeah. like, why, why would Mike Shea choose to be an asshole like this? And, the, and I have two reasons. And one is I don't want new DMs to feel like there's a 30-year gap between them and being a good DM. Right. Right? There, there isn't. Like I said, you know, first time that my DM had been running organized play, and it was the best game I ever played in my life in 30 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, two is that we old-timers need to constantly evolve. Right, and it's not enough for us to say, "Well, I played for thirty years; I know how to run D and D." This game is changing. Right, it's changing every year, and even after Five E has come out, the game has been changing. And I think it's important that we change with it. Well, and I would argue that even if the game isn't changing, a DM who is looking for opportunities to grow right. uh, is a better DM. Right, regardless yeah. of whether, you, even if yeah. you're still playing first edition. And I think, you know, a few DMs are saying, no, I'm totally static. I don't want to change. Right. I've heard some, but I think that's pretty rare. But now we have so much more access to ways for ways to get better than mm-hmm. we ever did. Yeah, and, yeah. And, adventure, the, and, and uh, organized play, Adventures League, all that is, is an interesting point to look at. Um, I, I don't know, like, how much does that correlate to, to yeah. DMs in general? It's a very different yeah, style of very, DMing. So. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I, I would reckon that uh, in terms of data – the correlation is actually going to come with what you said a second ago, which is the correlation is the uh, DMs who are willing to learn new things yes. and, mm-hmm. and think about the game in new ways, no matter how long they've been DMing. Mm-hmm. Right. That person is more likely to have uh, an improvement over time than someone who is not willing to, to learn something right. new or to do something different. Even if, the, even if they both start out as very good DMs, uh, the person who's willing to learn new things over time, their ratings might inch up just ever so slightly. But you know, over time, ever so slightly, if five years goes by, now now there's a difference between those two people. Right. Yeah. And there's, a, I mean, I've been I've been running a D and D podcast. I don't know if you knew this for over t- over a decade now. Right. Yep, I, uh, I do. Know I'm yeah. sure no one. <laughs> and and we. Right. And we give we do advice episodes every single month. We've been doing advice episodes every single month for most of those that decade or so. Right. Um, And like I get to a point where like I have a hard time coming up with a unique new topic uh, that that nobody's ever talked about. And and we're not going to repeat ourselves at all or whatever sometimes. But I also recognize that if I can get a, a different spin on a familiar topic or yeah. a, a related topic or whatever, and then even if like half of the advice or even you know 80% of the advice is stuff that's occurred over the course of 10 years, well, first of all, it's been 10 years. Who's, who remembers what we heard all the way back then? But ha- hearing the same bit of advice uh, re- over again 
I have found as a DM has benefited me. Like I will hear the same advice from on on you know, different blogs or on different websites. Like I, I I don't know that I have heard any advice other than getting specific. Like here's how to how to do some things with this specific adventure, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like you had the the brilliant idea of starting uh, Tomb of Annihilation in media res with the dinosaur races, right? Starting in media res is probably something I heard for the first time on a podcast called Sons of Cryos like 13 years ago. They were one of the the golden age gaming podcasts, right? It was a brilliant idea then. And then, you know, I forget about it and then somebody else mentions it and and it happens to be the advice that I need right now. And so I'm always looking for things, even if it's stuff I've heard before, to bring me back into it and to try again uh, and and do it that way. So. Um, I, I think the fact that there's only so much good D&D advice out there, general D&D advice out there, um, doesn't always matter so much because sometimes you need to hear it multiple times over the course of years to bring it back yeah. up when you need it. Well, we also, you know? well, like, and there, the, the, there are double the number of DMs that there were, which means there's a lot of DMs who never heard any of this. True. Well, and also just, you know, whether something works for, for one DM has a lot to do with their group as well, not just mm-hmm. the DM itself or herself. So, you know, the, the thing is, like, that advice that you needed to hear right then, maybe you tried it way back in the beginning and either you didn't do it very well or it didn't work for that particular scenario mm-hmm. or it didn't work with your group. You didn't you didn't try it again with that group, but now that you have a whole new group or you have two new players or you have whatever where it does work. And not being able to uh, try those new things, even though it's kind of, quote, old advice, like, so what? It's old advice. I mean, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's all old advice. I mean, you know, there are very few new, basically new things you can say because the hobby is 40 years old. I'm not saying there are no new things. I'm saying there's very few new things. There are new ways to say old things. There are new ways to apply old things, but there's very little brand new, brand spanking, nobody's ever heard it before new ideas. And that's okay. That's not a derogatory statement. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Does does that satisfy your your th- thinking on this? No. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what I want to yeah. know, though, actually, it doesn't satisfy me. What I want to oh. know, Mike Shea, is yes. what made that game so bad, and mm. then conversely, what made the other game so good. Okay. So, so I can emulate the good one. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. Given I'm over time, I'll have to be brief. I, uh, so the main the main problem that I had, and one thing that I need to make clear is. Um, my, my wife was in the same game and she thought it was okay, but she, she had a couple of complaints and then there were about three other players and they all had a fine time. I was the only one who didn't have a good time. And I do feel like I was picked on. Um, in particular, I try, I had a character, it was the third of a series of, of three adventures and I had a character hook that tied me into this particular adventure. And every time I tried to sort of get into that character hook, um, I was just shut down by the DM. Like mm-hmm. he was not interested in in doing anything like that. Mm-hmm. He was way more interested in making sure that the tactics of the battle map were okay. Mm-hmm. Um, he spent, yeah, he he had, you know, he set up battle mats, and we must have had like a five minute about whether or not uh, when I'm knocked prone by a wolf, whether that counted as as and as me having moved yet or not. Right. And, and, and because I wasn't allowed to move a number of squares that I wanted to move to get out of, you know, to be able to shoot a range attack without taking an opportunity attack or not an opportunity, but at minus at disadvantage. And it's like that is the most boring conversation right. in D&D. Right. Like right. that is the least interesting thing. And all I wanted to do is be able to shoot and not be at disadvantage. Right. And I accepted an opportunity attack to do so, you know, so that put it off to a real bad start. 
um, the game ran late, and instead of he was he was, I, I would say that like the the main the main thing was that he was a um, uh, an antagonistic DM. He kept mm-hmm. all of the all of the information he kept close hold. If you you know there was one point where I said like I want to you know is there any weird shadow magic that's on those trees? And he's like I don't know. And I said can I make an Arcana check? He's like that's not how Arcana works. And that was it, right? <laughs> Nothing about like, well, what can I do to figure out what the hell's going right. on with these trees? So it sounds like a big part of the well, some some of the problem is that he's a bit of a of a rules like rules grognard, yeah, right? And, and like a permissive a permissive DM, like a, a you know, like I'm you know, you have to say and exactly what right. I need to hear in order to go forward, rather than right. like you know, well, Arcana won't do it, but nature will. Right. I mean, how hard is that, right? And how game breaking is that? Right. Like, and so, I think I think but, the other issue is that is that he was prepared to run uh, one style of game, yes, and, and that is not the style of game you were no. looking for specifically. No, but so. but there was a lot of just shutting me down, like right. you know, I and I just got more and more frustrated as it went on, and it, and it, yeah, so like, and the funny, the, the the sad thing is, like, I uh, I talked to the guy who wrote the adventure, who happened to be at the con. And he was telling me what's in it. And I was like, none of this came out. Like, you know, there's all these interesting things. Yeah. And none of it came out for any of us. Well, let that right? be a none lesson to everybody as, as a DM. Be very free with information because otherwise yeah. it never it work, never sees the light of day and the players, the players don't notice it. Right. Work with the players. You know, <laughs> understand what they're trying to do this is and why, help them try to accomplish it. This is why subtlety and and mysteries are something that I, yes. I am very careful with in D&D because – um, what I think is a is is good clues sort of and breadcrumbs leading along the way ends up being completely missed by the players almost 100 percent of the time. Yeah, but to, you to, to the try point, to find ways to get them. The yeah, end, right. I, ha- I had a, I had an NPC and we'll talk about it I guess during my bit. But I had an NPC that made some innuendo that he had mm-hmm. information that one of the players needed, but he didn't want the rest of the players to know that's exactly what was going on. So so he I laid it out there real subtle like. And then, like, made it a point, like, a couple days later to text that player and say, oh, by the way, that was you he was talking about. Just, you know, because right. players miss it. And then what's the point? Then, then you're just talking right. to yourself. Right, right. So, so, so the best games, just, you know, I think Sam asked this. Was it yeah. Sam, was it, you asked this question, Yeah, right? it was me. Yeah, sorry. So um, the other game that was the best game was the Open. Uh, sorry, was the, yeah, was it the Open? It was the competitive D&D game. Um, and it was written by uh, James... Uh, Intercasso and Sean Merwin and Will Doyle. Um, so a bunch and of clubs. It, yeah, right. And it was, <laughs> it was the best. I think it was the best adventure I played. Is like a single shot adventure. It was a series of heists taking place in Waterdeep with very clear, like, here's your objective, here's the location, and here's what you can do ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And you guys figure out how to do it. And it was, and the DM was just, she was working with us and it was hysterical. The group was great. It was, it was Teo Sabadia and his friends and my wife and I, Michelle and I. And so it was a great group and it was just funny and it was fun. And like, you know, we had to plan things and the DM would listen to our plans and help us accomplish them. Right. Mm -hmm. And she'd throw complications in the way and all sorts of other stuff. But she was, she was into it. Right. And she was into us accomplishing this. And and she was a great role player, and you know we we it was an eight hour long D and D game with an hour break for dinner, and we had one fight against one guy, and mm-hmm. it lasted about five minutes, and the whole rest of it was uh, exploration and and you know preparing for the heist and mm-hmm. executing the heist, and was, we were on the edge of scheming. our seat. 
Yeah. yeah. We were on the edge of our seat that whole time yeah. with one bat. So, yeah. So that on, was just fantastic. On a completely uh, tangentially related note, it, it occurs to me, it, it is a little ironic that um, Watsy is going the rest adventure uh, shortly after Rodney Thompson, who wrote yeah, the game. Yeah. <laughs> I have it myself. Played it yesterday. Um, yeah, because it sounded like, like I have it on hey, myself, but I want to play it. I sounded. I, I, li- I listened to you describe the scenario. I'm like, hey, that would have been a great scenario for Destiny Outlaws. Like, she's yeah. basically just running yeah. that. So, it's great. Yeah. Well, it, it wouldn't surprise me to learn that he bounced ideas off of people sure. for months or years previous to him designing that oh, yeah. game, and that all of those things are in all of their minds, and then they decide to do this, and that all comes out. So that that's not surprising at all, no. you know. I've taken way more than my time, and I'm sorry. But <laughs> it's, okay. It's, <laughs> it's okay. It's <laughs> okay. But you, you know, you know what for... won't take too much of your time? No. Heading over to Noble Knight where you can get awesome uh, game products, old and new, uh, usually at a, at a bit of a discount. They're an, uh, an online game store, but they're also a brick and mortar, so you don't have to worry about not supporting your your you know brick and mortar friendly local game store. Uh, and my pick for this episode is a game that I've been playing lately, um, and you can play it in like Ten minutes, you know, it's a it's a nice, quick little game. I played a couple of games of it after we finished a session a little bit early. I play it with my kids. Um, Sam, you may have heard of this because you're a board game guy. Are you familiar with Santorini? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you played Santorini? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, so Santorini is this this. It, it works really well for two or three players and four players, but you split into teams. So two of you are working together. And the whole idea is that you're like the Greek gods and you have workers on this little island that are building towers. Uh, and you win when you get your little worker to the third level of the tower. But other people can build domes on the tower and then it's off limits. Nobody can go there anymore. And it ends up being sort of... They like playing chess certainly from for me than they do you and what have you, right? It's a really fun little interesting game. Um, it's normally thirty dollars. Noble Knight has it for for twenty five. Um, I, I picked it up at like a Target or Barnes and Noble on in preparation for our, a recent trip that the family took to the uh, Santa. Let them know the Tome showed you. Sam's turn. Woohoo! Okay. Uh, I also uh, was running Tomb of Annihilation, but I yeah. finished. You finished, I finished oh, really? running Tomb of Annihilation. Yeah. I, well, I had to, right? <laughs> I had other. to. Uh, so we had a, a big, long marathon, a seven hour session to finish. Um, and uh, uh, I, if you. So I, I believe what I, where I had stopped talking about this. Uh, in the last episode wa- uh, was at the point when uh, the group found themselves back at the initial first oh, yeah, T right. intersection, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and they were about to cast Liaman's tiny hut. And so they did that. Uh, f- well, so uh, 
remember the Odiug had been um, transported with them when they mm-hmm. moved, uh, and the the druid character actually charmed did charm monster, and he charmed the Odiug, and he sent the Odiug off to find uh, food to go hunting, and so the Odiug trundled away. You know, gave him a little kiss as he walked by. You know, a, a little nuzzle like a cat or something, uh, and and then went away. So they 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 didn't have to deal with the Odiug, uh, but they cast Lehman's tiny hut. And I basically had uh, the tomb dwarves, you know, who go around and 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 reset all the traps and fix all the things, come across the Lehman's tiny hut um, because they weren't in a uh, secluded place. They just sort of cast it. So that it was in the hall. So now, to all the outsiders, uh, you know, I, I decided they could make it look like just a like a solid black or gray dome or like rock or something. And so, to to all of the people on the outside, it just looks like this. There's something there in the hallway. So uh, they basically didn't get to rest because the tomb dwarves, within a couple of hours, came across this mass of wall was mm-hmm. perceived by them in the middle of the hallway so they're taking their hammers and knocking on it and try to figure out if it's hollow if it's you know all these things so uh they couldn't figure it out uh and so of course the tomb dwarves they went and got withers um and so for those of you who know withers who don't know uh, withers is uh, the the sort of caretaker that a Sararak left in charge and he sort of is the he is the is the foreman so to speak of mm. of the tomb dwarves and and he's the one who controls everything in the you know and in, in all the tomb, tomb dwarf activities in the tomb um and so he's getting ready so by this time the group knows oh crap they know we're here they're coming back whatever and withers of course can cast dispel magic so he starts getting ready to cast dispel magic and so there's this fight uh and um they actually uh, kicked withers's butt um pretty handily uh but not very easily i mean they it it was uh pretty taxing on their resources because they didn't get to rest um they ended up going back and trying to find a more secluded place and and i i ultimately let them use lehman's tiny hut and rest uh even though i think if i had had more time and we were going to draw this out more i probably would not have i probably would have made them find a much more secure place but they really did need to rest because what i had done was uh i set it up so that i uh, i made them really really interested in what's in the pit at the bottom of the uh the the balcony so in in the tomb there's this sort of main uh hallway there this main sort of uh balcony area where you could just take the steps down and you could go down like three or four levels mm. but it's it's the series of balconies and you can look down and at the at on the floor down there there are these uh gargoyle statues um and there's a big pit in between them and uh so um, they they went down there. They got all interested down there because it turns out those gargoyle statues are sitting on uh, pedestals with different colored stone under them. And one is copper colored, one's gold, one's platinum, and one is silver. And so you can guess that's about money. And so you're supposed to put money into the hand or into the slot uh, in the base of the gargoyle. Well, they sort of figured that out and sort of didn't. They They started to pay it for some of them and so they got into a fight but as a result of getting into the fight they a couple of them got knocked into the the middle the middle pit which what i did was i made that middle pit go down into 
the lair of the Sone Sisters. So rather than just ending like it does in the actual as written, mm-hmm. I had them I had them end up with the so you know in the in the main layer of the Sone Sisters. Remind remind people there. about what the who the Sone Sisters are. So because Mike's Sone not there sisters, and I've read the book in months. So yeah, so the Sone Sisters are these three night hags who are uh, in league with the Sararak and who are basically um, they're sort of. Uh, Basically, their job is to make sure that the Atropole and the Soulmonger are well cared for. Yeah, like the midwives. Yeah, and uh, um, but they're this really midwives. Yeah, they're this really nasty group. Like uh, one of them has these tarnished gold coins over her eyes, and one of them has like a string of children's teeth around her neck, you know, like as a necklace, and one of them has like a leather bag sewn over her head and it squirms and every once in a while like a little viper head or a little um you know uh, a terrier head will pop out and like it's just this really creepy like uh you know the uh, what i had happened was i had the one that has um that has the the gold coins she has these ants that nest in her skull so anytime she did something i had her like move one of the gold pieces away from her eye and i had the ants crawl out there and and mm-hmm. crawl down and and like just i it, it's just so creepy these things are just so nasty creepy um and you can really play it up because they are also night hags are are tough you know um but but the thing is that when they first got down to this to this room where the so the night hags have these three souls of these three children that they kidnapped and they have transplanted the souls into these three little doll creatures and one of them is like this like bundle of straw that's sort mm-hmm. of shaped like a little girl and of course so her name is straw bundle and one of them is like this clay sort of doll that has no face and it's and so of course its name is clay no face and one of them is like this monkey stuffed animal kind of thing with a couple of leather straps on it has no legs instead it has like a wheel so it's like a monkey running around on a unicycle um that squeaks and uh its name is joho and so you've got straw bundle clay no face and joho and there, these little kids, the souls of these little children are in there. So, of course, when uh, the party shows up in the Sewn Sisters' lair, that's actually the playroom of the little kids. So, the little kids run up to the first uh, PC who showed up and start talking to him. And it really freaked out the players. <laughs> sure. Um, and, uh, and it's so well done, you know, because basically they figured out so they didn't trust the little dolls at first, of course, right? Um, but the little dolls were like, oh, they're coming. We have to hide. And so, you know, they led one of the PCs away and they all hid uh, from the Sone Sisters because the Sone Sisters, there, I had them doing like a ritual so they can actually like be out in the ethereal plane and then come back and mm-hmm. do all these weird things. But um, so, so they basically, the children got the trust of the PCs. And then they were able to – their stories were able to come out. And uh, uh, basically the story is, you know, if you – so they were trying to figure out how to free these children. But, you know, the soul mongers right there. So if you don't kill the soul monger, if you release the souls of these children from the dolls, well, their soul is just going to get sucked up by the soul monger. So you can't really release them. And so, you know, the children told the story about how they can't leave and there's all these things. I mean it was just – it was really sort of this poignant, weird, like grotesque – 
situation. Um, and you know, you know, two of my players have young children, you know, and mm. one, one of them is pregnant. So, you know, it's sort of like, you know, I, I had to actually, when I, I'm, I'm fast forwarding a little bit, but you know, when I had them meet the Atropol, I did not really like describe it a, as this sort of bloated, fetus aborted thing, fetus. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, because, okay, one of the players is six months pregnant. That is yeah. not a vision no. she needs. I didn't show didn't, them the picture. Didn't the, you know? Did the Atropol in previous editions used to be sort of like a, a humanoid figure that was sort of disheveled? Uh, no, I thought, maybe uh, it, has it, it was, always been a big dead it, god baby it, it might have been able to like project itself or or has have an aspect that looks more n- sort of not fetus like but i don't i don't really i never used it in a previous edition so i don't know yeah um but i i so i changed that so i it was still this really disgusting like blob of nasty like i, I basically my my players start calling it the fat man um and because uh, that's how I describe this nasty, bloated, like obviously misshapen form. But I, I didn't really, uh, I didn't say that it was connected with an umbilical cord mm-hmm. and things like that because I did not want to invoke the fetus uh, idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so the lesson here is not that I'm squeamish because I personally am not squeamish, but um, you have to be cognizant of uh, the mindset of your players, and um, you know it's okay to change things uh, if if you think it would be psychologically disturbing for one of your players to have something described the way that it actually yeah. is described. It's totally okay to change things. Well, and I, I recommend I'm, it. So. I'm going through a Google image search for Atropol. Yeah, and, and I'm the same thing. I'm, I'm finding some things that I remember from previous editions that are not fetus-like at all. So that that's right. a fourth, relatively fourth new edition had one, and it was sort of like a half-skeleton thing. Yeah, yeah, sort of like a, a, a humanoid without its skin, you know, someone right. have the muscles exposed and whatever, but yeah. Yeah, so I, I never, I mean, and that, those might be like later stages of its growth, right? But the, this one's still a baby godling, so who knows? I mean, I, I but I changed, the, so just so everybody knows, I changed this, I still made it really disgusting, it has tentacles, and it's this really, like, globby, like, horrible thing, Um but uh, but yeah, so I, I sort of stayed away from that. Anyway, so so it was also difficult to do this sort of uh, children's idea of you know these three children's souls are trapped in these dolls, and that so that was it was creepy. But I didn't make I, I tried to make the dolls as uh, low impact as possible in terms of creep factor uh, because of that. So um, but that played off really well. I mean, it really it really they were like, oh my god, like there's children. Like they hadn't thought about children being, you know, destroyed and and having right. their souls out previous to this. Even though they knew the soul, I mean, they had already heard, they already knew everything that was happening, right? They sure. learned all that stuff the previous seven sessions. Um, anyway, so uh, the other thing was because I had to take them so quickly down um, before they got to the Sone Sisters, I had to figure out what am I going to do with the skeleton keys? Because what right. I had had happening was anytime they entered a room where there was a skeleton key it it would leave um and so basically what i did was <clears throat> the sewn sisters lair is sort of surrounded by this group of five or six rooms and each of the rooms has you know uh like they're named for the shapes that are you know on the the main door that mm. the skeleton keys have on their heads and so basically each of those rooms uh, part of that room has the skeleton kind of almost in stasis and so when they unlocked the puzzle in that room instead of it like 
having an effect on whether they could use the key to open the door, it actually brought the skeleton key out of stasis. So they had access to the skeleton key. To give people a sense of what you mean by the skeleton keys, that there are skeletons roaming around in the dungeon that have like various shapes, like what is it, like attached to their heads or whatever, that become the keys to open the door later. Right. So if you if you find the skeleton, you have to destroy it. You keep its head, which has the key on it, and then the key part of the of the head sort of it's almost like a headdress kind of hat or something. Right. And the key that part of the skeleton's head will fit into the door to open up to get access to the Atropol and the Soulmonger. And so if you don't have at least three of those, you can't open the door. So I had to have a way for them, for the players to have access, for the PCs to have access sure. to those. And so that's what I did. Um, so the the children helped them with that. Uh, one of the cool things about that was there's this one of the rooms, the, the Pentagon room has uh, th- this this area. The reason that I decided to put them down into the, into the Sewn Sisters area is because it's very rich with imagery and weird things going on and like these strange scenes like there's a... Um, a scarecrow named Mr. Threadneedle, but he's dressed very dapper and he's basically setting up a little feast for the PCs. And of course, you know, uh, the food is uh, cursed or blessed depending on, you know, what you eat and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and of course, so they, they go into this room and, and the Mr. Threadbear says, Oh, you know, have a seat or, you know, whatever he motions for them to sit down. And, uh, and the players are like wondering, well, I'm not eating, I'm not eating. And the ch- the children and the little dolls, they're like, oh, cupcakes. We haven't had cupcakes in so long, <laughs> you know. So it would like created this situation where the children are asking the PCs to partake of the food because they haven't been able to eat mm. for as long as they've captivity so there's there's all these ways that you can bring in like the different characterizations and the different sort of npcs that are in this area really really fantastic way that they did that in fact this level of uh with the with the night hags and the rooms around it and and opening the door and everything i'm going to use that i'm going to use this i'm going to take it and use it in other places in my games because not necessarily with an atropole but just that i the Mm. ideas that are in this are so malleable and pliable and and have rich npcs and rich opportunities for puzzles and for combats and for these different things it's really well done this level so a couple more things um uh i chose uh what did i miss oh i i chose not to deal with really so the party did not they they went in they defeated the atropole they destroyed actually they didn't even defeat the atropole they figured out they needed to destroy the canister the soulmonger canister Mm -hmm. and that that would uh, give them the ability to to escape um and they ended up uh trying to destroy the atropole after they destroyed the soulmonger um and i think they actually did end up killing it but uh they really just wanted to escape at that point so i did not have them fight a sararak so a sararak is still alive um he never even well, showed up I, yeah, he, he he did not show up because they were so beaten down by having to kill the three night hags and do a couple of different things in the in the you were running a short time at that point too so yeah, I mean, we, they really, I mean, it was like an amazing amount of things that got done in this last session. So anyway, all that being said, now my fifth edition group is over and I'm, you know, so I, I've got sort of three things on the horizon. I, I one of my coworkers um, has a couple of, of 
boys that are uh, 12 and 14, and uh, they really want to play D&D. So I'm going to run a game for them, uh, a game or two. Uh, and I'm probably going to do, you know, something probably very basic, like keep on the borderlands, or maybe I'll do something in Midgard. So I might use Cat and Mouse, which is a great little first level uh, uh, adventure in Midgard by Richard Pett. Um, I might do the uh, Chapel on the Cliff, which is by Goblin Stone. You can get it on DM's Guild. You can actually get a print version. It's a very, very nicely uh, nicely done uh, item that's not by you know Wizards of the Coast. Um, I, I would really love to run like a Star Wars, FFG Star Wars, like Edge of the Empire, Force and Destiny kind of game. So that's probably where my focus is going to mostly go, is trying to get a group of that. So so the next time we talk, the next time you hear a Behind the DM Screen ep- uh, uh, episode from me, hopefully I'll be able to talk about Edge of the Empire and, and some different games and different scenarios that we don't usually address. Right on. Very cool. Although I sometimes talk about my super funness with Torg, but you know, whatever. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, speaking of, of super I didn't say fun- we never talk about other games. That's right. Other games. I didn't say we never talk about other games. I said I usually don't talk about. That's true. And we don't talk about Star Wars usually. So That's true. We'll see. Speaking about talking about new things, guess what? Star Wars? We have another sponsor for this quarter besides Noble Knight. Noble Knight is fantastic and we love them. Uh, but recently a, another dice company reached out to me called Dice Envy. Uh, DiceEnvy.com is their website. They're a, a fun little dice company. And what's unique about them is they offer a subscription box. So you can pay. Uh, there's three different levels of subscription. You can get one new die a month. You can get one new set a month. Or you can pay for the premium and then you're getting like a new set of metal dice or whatever every month. Um, you know, with their nicer dice. And they, they're they always kickstarting stuff. So they're adding new stuff to their mix and, and what have you. Uh, I got a set of their dice. Their metal dice that's called Mordred, uh, and and I think there's a, a what a Warcraft theme to the to that set, those sets. There's three of them. There's um, what is it the the oh shoot now I'm forgetting. It's Mordred. It's um, oh now I have to look. Uh, the uh, there's one that's called Alliance. So that sounds awfully uh, Warcrafty, right? Right, Mike. Sorry, <laughs> Alliance would be a, a Warcraft themed dice, right? Yes. Uh, so would Lionheart, yes. Uh, yes. And is Mordred a a Warcraft character or I thing? I don't think so. Okay, so that might be from somewhere else. I, I mean, I know obviously Mordred is is uh, connected to Arthurian myth and whatever, uh, but that's actually the set that I got is the Mordred set. Uh, it's thirty dollars for the set, and unlike most of the metal dice that you would get, it's not set up like normal dice where you know you've got the different colors of dice and then they've etched in the numbers. It, it's the opposite where the numbers sort of pop out on the side, and the numbers are the normal metal, and then they they color in the the base behind it you know um so you i've seen several sets um like that online and they put together that's interesting yeah it's a a really interesting sort of uh dynamic i played with them uh in my last game session last weekend and it it was really cool and they've got another a bunch of other uh fun little sets right like right now they're getting ready to launch their next month's uh set of dice which are specifically like healer dice so they have like little uh symbols for for healing you know red you know like cross symbols on them and and the the what's the the staff with the snake thing and you know all those sorts of 
um, images that evoke healing, and they're all uh, die types that are used for healing spells. So you can, like, pull out my special Cure Wounds dice and, and do that. And so they got stuff like that, too. Um, I think the, the idea of the subscription box uh, is a really cool idea. Even if even if you just do, the, like, the $5 a month and then you get the one dice, you can see if how awesome it is. And then if you want to – if you end up being like, hey, this is awesome, I want to buy the whole set, uh, they'll usually offer them for sale in their store after they've done the subscription people. So – uh, it's a really cool idea for for a dice company. They reached out to me. Um, one of our lovely listeners uh, told them that they heard about them, heard about Dice Envy from us, and they're like, "We, we don't sponsor you. I don't know how they heard from you, but hey, here we are." <laughs> so, so whoever you are who who talked to us to them about us, thank you. Uh, that has gone very well, uh, and they're a, they're a nice company. They sent me some dice, and, and I really like them. So, there you go, Dice Envy. Check them out, diceenvy.com. All righty. Now it is my turn. So last time we chatted, I had gone like a month and a half with no game. Uh, in the last month, I have had two games, but only one of which is the regular D&D game. So uh, improvement, although uh, still having to pull out Torg as our one-shot thing, although it, that's really fun too because we're really enjoying Torg. Uh, I think I told you last time they... They fired a rocket into the back of a wounded dragon from a, a fighter jet that had crashed in Trafalgar Square. Like that's the kind of craziness, uh, crazy fun times that we're having with Torg. So we we played two sessions since the last game. One of one, one of which was D and D. One of which was was Torg continuing that sort of um, in the second part of that series where they killed the dragon. Um, but I'll talk about D and D, and then we'll see where we're at for time. So. We had one D&D game session. Last time we played D&D, like, ages ago, remember, we were in the middle of, like, this massive encounter uh, in the, haunt, quote, haunted caravanserai that wasn't actually haunted. It was a bunch of genies that were, like, pretending it was haunted to scare people away and, and take prisoners, slaves, and whatever to, to sell them back at the, the City of Brass. Um and they were like getting trounced in the middle of this thing because they had, you know, the the encounter is set up in such a way from the rod of seven parts that you that they sort of string you along and string you along and string you along until eventually it's clear that they can't string you along anymore. And then they trigger every creature in the entire uh, you know location in one massive encounter. Uh, and so it's it's bunches of genies and two of freets and um like eight medusas and some some methods it's like this massive <laughs> encounter and like the players are like oh my gosh like they got halfway through and they're like oh my gosh there's like eight of them left and i'm like yeah actually there's there's still the two of freets that haven't even made themselves known yet but okay yeah there's still like eight of them left <laughs> and, uh and they're like and we're out of spells and we don't know what we're gonna do and how we're we gonna win and then they remembered oh but we got the blessing of these this three-part Hindu god, one of which is the destroyer, Shiva, or Shiva, depending mm -hmm. on if you're American or not. Um, and so they're like, we're going to, you know, the the Hindu gods told us, you know, they get a, we get one blessing as a group from each of them once. So we're going to call them the destroyer. And, I, and, and they kind of gave me a heads up that that's what they were going to do. And so I looked up some stuff and I'm like, okay, I found an actual Hindu mantra for Shiva uh, that it ha is made up of five syllables. And so I'm like, okay, great. So this is what happens. They call on the blessing of Shiva. Shiva shows up and says, here is my mantra. Say each syllable and point to a target and I will destroy them for you. 
right? Just flat out, I will kill five things. And so they use it on the genies because they still don't know that the Efreets are there, right? So they, they manage to get rid of most of the genies that way. And then the Efreets show up and there's fire throw, going all over the place. And they're jumping through. Uh, or they're hiding back in these little small rooms next to the courtyard where the fight's taking place. And so the one of the genies fills the room with a wall of fire, um, which, of course, sets the, the entire building on fire. And so in the midst of the fight, they're like having to jump out into the courtyard because the, the building is collapsing and whatever. And what they don't know is that the parts of the rod that they're looking for are actually uh, embedded into a statue that was a person that was turned into stone by the Medusas uh, on the second floor. So when the, when the, the ceiling slash floor collapsed, um, the, the statues sort of got completely destroyed and they had to sort through the rubble and find the pieces of the rod amidst the, the, the broken pieces of the statue there. So they didn't get to you know save the person who was petrified, but that was okay because it wasn't a very nice person anyway. Uh, so they got the two pieces of the rod. Then they're like, okay, now it's off to the next thing. Uh, Vizarin, the, the drow wizard from Out of the Abyss, has been waiting for us for like literally a year to come in and take care of these demon lords running around the abyss. Um, let's go talk to him. Except then I had the I had that storyline to come up that I think I told you about last time, where the barbarian started feeling this sort of the the beat of the war drums in his heart, right? And and it was known that when when one of the warriors of his tribe uh, of his people feels that beat, that they must they must attend to it immediately. And so they teleported into his island and it was, it was an issue of like the champion of the people has been killed. The, the spirits have chosen you to, to be one of the contenders to be the new champion. And I had this sort of, you know, every, you know, they climbed up onto a plateau and the top of the plateau was dug out into a giant bowl and it was single combat him and, and another champion, potential champion, uh, down there fighting it out in single combat and ultimately of course the the PC wins um, uh, and becomes the new champion of the people and then it's like okay now now go and speak to the ch- to the chieftain um, so that she can tell you what the what what that means right because nobody really knows what it means to be a champion of the people they just know that there must always be a champion and the champion protects all of the the people um, on the that island right because how else could a, a, a relatively primitive island survive in, in this kind of a world, right? Uh, and so it turns out that uh, the champion, the, the deal that the people made ages and ages and ages ago uh, with this extra planar being called the Queen of Chaos, that the Queen of Chaos will protect the, the island and the people of the island if... Uh, they name a champion, and all of the souls that the champion sends to the Queen of Chaos, uh, you know, are the 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 deal for that for that you know arrangement, right? So now every single kill that the barbarian character makes sends a soul to the Queen of Chaos, but they already know the Queen of Chaos. She's the one that keeps sending the wolf spiders to try to kill them because she wants the pieces of the rod. So now he hasn't told the party this, but every time he kills something, he's actually helping feed souls to their enemy. Hmm. Yeah. And I told I told him that in front of the party, so the part the 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 players know it, but the characters don't know it all. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, so that's a fun little dynamic. I'm trying to I'm trying to find ways. This is what uh, a a player who who's not always um, putting himself out there to, to, to like you know. Make me be a hook in the story, so I'm trying to give him a good solid hook into the story. Mm-hmm. 
so so far that's that's what's going on there. Ultimately, it doesn't change the larger course of events because the only way for him to get out of this deal is to kill the Queen of, Queen of Chaos or die. So that's probably where they're headed anyway, is to, to, to either kill the Queen of Chaos or die. Um, and then they finally made it down to the Underdark. They met up with uh, Vizarin, the drow wizard from Out of the Abyss. Uh, did you ever meet him, Mike? Which one? Vizarin, the, the drow wizard in Out of the Abyss. No, that was, I think, in the second part. Yeah, I think so. And I never got to that part. Yeah. So he's actually a really kind of cool character. They, they meet him in, um, in Graven Hollow, the, li- the stone giant library that has yeah, all right. this knowledge. And it's really a really kind of a cool location. They run into him and he's like, hey, so uh, you're working on this Demon Lord thing. And I'm working on this Demon Lord thing. And I'm not a good person, but I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, we're going to work together to deal with the bigger problem, right? And so finally they went to him and he's like, all right, so here's the deal. I figured out a way to get rid of the, the demon lords. Like they finally got sort of the back. He's the one that delivers some of the backstory as to what happened, right? The, that mm-hmm. Gronf Bane Ray of Minzo Barons and completely screwed up a, a ritual and accidentally summoned all the demon lords into the Underdark. Uh, so he's like, so here's what I need. I, I need this random collection of MacGuffins. I mean, ritual components. Um, and, and I need the grimoire of, uh, of Gronf Bane Ray. So you're going to have to actually infiltrate Minzo Barons at some point and get his books and notes and things. So I can figure out, uh, I can put together what we need and then make the ritual. And what we'll do is we will summon all of the demon lords to Minzo Barons and let them fight it out. And then we'll clean up the whatever's left over. Right. So you kind of get the plot of the last half from him, the last half of the, that story. Uh, so, and that's sort of where we left off with that session. It was a nice, it was an interesting sort of transition session, right? Where we wrapped up one storyline, did a little side quest in the middle, and then started the next storyline. Um, they're going into a region of the Underdark known as the Labyrinth next. Uh, I, I hand wave some of the less interesting sort of, uh, ritual components like the, the Beholder Eye and the, the Purple Worm Egg, um. Not because those aren't interesting components, but I want to, and I've got so many stories going on, I kind of want to move move it along, you know, and be able to finish at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm like, oh, well, it's been a year since we've been waiting for you here. We've already collected these two things. You go out and get all the other things. Because you can get like half of them in, the, in this one sort of region of the Underdark called the Labyrinth, which is just this giant maze. And it's right now being, um, it, it's now the home of Baphomet. Uh, who's the demon lord who has a lot of minotaurs as as followers, which makes sense because it's a it's a big maze, right? Minotaurs maze, it, it's a thing. Uh, and then one of Baphomet's big enemies is Yonogu. Is that how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm. Yonogu. Yonogu. Yeah, the yeah. the, the Nol demon lord, right? And so he, the Nol demon lord is running through this maze, hunting Baphomet, and Baphomet's running around doing Baphomety things. Uh, and, and and you don't need to deal with either of them, but there's stuff in the labyrinth you need. And so I'm going to skip the whole wandering around the labyrinth thing and say, okay, so Vizarin will just teleport you to one of the locations. And then you have to work your way out of the labyrinth um, in order to, to find the other pieces you need along the way. Because one of the components you need is six feathers from six different angels. Right. Well, it just so happens in the labyrinth, there are six petrified angels in this one, you know, cavern or whatever. 
that Vizara knows about. And so you can go there and get the petrified uh, feathers, and that will suffice for the ritual. It'll also serve the purpose of providing a component that they need for the Rod of Seven Parts, because there's certain components you need to start connecting the rod pieces together. Right now, every single character has a different piece of the rod. Because if you bring them within a foot of each other, uh, they they violently react and one of them teleports away. <laughs> so everybody has to carry a different piece until they can start figuring out how to put them together. Once they get the, the angel feathers and or hairs or whatever, they can start um, putting things together. And so we'll continue that storyline as well. And then there's all these other things going on in the labyrinth. And, and I was thinking about this when you were talking, Mike, about your trip down the river and how there's mm-hmm. like this interesting thing and you wanted to throw it at them, but they weren't going there. So you just moved it. Um, right. That's largely how I'm handling, I think, the the labyrinth. Now, I haven't run it yet, so I, this is all sort of mutable. But I looked through the chapter and I said, well, like, half of these encounters are interesting to me. And half of them are just sort of, we need to throw stuff in there to keep making the point that the Underdark is dangerous sort of stuff, right? Right. Uh, and I don't, ha- I don't want to take the time to do the let's remind them that the Underdark is dangerous thing. So I just sort of selected like five or six of the encounters. I think, I think these are fun. Uh, and we won't even necessarily do any all of them. I just sort of listed, ranked them in order that I think they're you know most interesting, the least interesting. Um, with the the caveat that like the first one is necessary to get some one of the components they need, uh, and then after that, um, after that, then then the plan is is just sort of let them roll dice to see if they get lost in the maze, and every time they get lost, throw another one of these random encounters at them. But I've, yeah. ranked, I've ranked them in order from le- m- m- most to least interesting. So, yeah. So I always I always shudder to run stuff like that. Well, and and so much of like this adventure has a lot going for it, like like most of the published adventures do, right? But it, there's an awful lot of it that that if you run it as written, is just sort of you know wander through the underdark for days and days and days with random encounters and i'm like yeah that stopped being interesting like a long time ago <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so i've just stopped. yeah there's, there's something about like i don't know yeah so i mean i'm having the same issue with travel and chult i'm starting to, to skip a little bit more just because right. the whole hex crawl but there's something about a maze where there's like a general frustration of either like we're never actually going to be f- able to figure out this maze by traversing it or, or we're just going to roll and the dice are totally going to tell us whether or not we're going to have to do a thing or not well, it's a and, tough and you know. and the labyrinth is such a, I mean it's a you know 100 mile wide maze that they didn't obviously like actually make a maze so it's all right. just die rolls yeah um, right and and there's some hey, you could run into this weird degenerate uh knoll who's being bullied by a yeah. bunch of minotaur throw, cultists throw, and are there yeah. options to throw interesting physical things in there too so, weird so, monuments and frescoes on the wall so there are some that are really interesting and there are some that are like ah this is kind of interesting but like there's an encounter like there's one that's called the maze engine right and the maze engine is this giant engine of of is it chaos in the center of the labyrinth but i didn't i'm not going to put it in the center of the labyrinth i'm going to put it wherever they are when they get to that point and it has this crazy stuff going on all the time with random effects every single round and it's what made the modrons that were wandering through with the great modron march kind of go crazy and 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 <laughs> separate from the modron march and all that like it it's this insane thing and it's and it's sort of in there like here's a really interesting thing that they'll probably never go to and there's no real reason for them to go there Okay, so I'm going to throw it wherever I need to throw it in order to make it a, a an interesting little random encounter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's you know then there's some like, hey, there's a weird 
metal tower in the middle of this place, in the middle of this this cavern. Let's go check that out. And then you you futz with it and you futz with it and you can't figure out what's going on. And if you're smart enough to cast Identify on it, you discover, oh, that's because uh, it's a, it's a, what's it, a Darren's Instant Fortress. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's the only way you can really get the the keyword to to transform it back into a, a small shape. But the thing about Darren's Instant Fortress is that you can't uh, shrink it to its small shape as long as there's creatures inside. And what you don't know is that there's a couple of shadow demons inside. And so you have to go in and hunt down the shadow demons who are who are of course also hunting you. And uh, so there's like fun little interesting things like that. And then there's the the rogue modrons that you can run into. Uh, so there's little things like that. And some of them are like set up as here's some extra random encounters you can mix in with the normal random encounters. And some of them are here are some like set piece locations. And so um, I'd say. Four, I'm guessing there's like six-ish of those set-piece locations, and I'd say I, I put four of them on my list um, of of places to, to pull out, and two of them where it's like, yeah, okay, you know, yeah, there's some Minotaurs, but like, like, I don't know why they like. There's an in, there's an indication that like you don't want to send too many of these things out, or it'd be too dangerous at this level. I'm like, but at this point, they're like they're supposed to be 12th level, and my guys are like 13th or 14th level, like. Minotaurs and gnolls are like CR1 or at most three. Like these are really easy encounters. What are you talking about? Too dangerous. Like I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to seriously scale it up. Like there's a gnoll encounter that you actually need. That's like the first one because you need it for the components uh, where, where you, they actually accidentally bump into Yonogu from a distance and Yonogu's there with a bunch of his gnolls and, and kills a Goristro, which is this giant demon minotaur thing, right? That mm-hmm. obviously is working for Baphomet. And so they, uh, Yonogu kills the, the, the Goristro, bathes in its blood, and then sort of yips and howls and, and, and leaves while the rest of its pack sort of stays behind and starts eating the body. But you need actually the heart of a Goristro. It's one of the, the components. So you can, this is your opportunity to run in and, and chase off the gnolls and whatever. Luckily, um, we have access to things that we didn't have at the time when this book came out because I pulled out, is it Volo's Guide that has a whole bunch of, of gnolls in it? Yeah. Yeah, so I pulled out a bunch of the, I, I pulled a bunch of the stats for, for gnolls from Volo's Guide because I'm like, okay, well, eight gnolls and a pack lord is not a, a worthy challenge for this many people and, I, and I, for these, this party, and I don't want to just double the numbers because that just makes it an easy encounter that takes twice as long mm-hmm. um, so I'm, I'm pulling a bunch of stats from there and, and, and doing that kind of stuff and you know ultimately it maybe it'll still be easy um, we'll see uh, my my system of encounter design I know we talked about this months ago Mike uh, my system of encounter design at this point is um, I use the D&D Beyond app I look up the monsters I want I screen grab them and then I put them in a, in a folder in my iPad and then I just have stats there and, and whatever I feel like I want at the time that the encounter begins that's what I pull out right so I don't other, other than thinking ahead like I want to have this suite of 12 monsters available for this session um, then when it comes to actual encounter design, it's just whatever uh, my gut tells me at the time would be interesting and fun. So, hmm. so there we are. Uh, I was going to ask one question, although my time's up, although everybody else went over time too, so maybe I'll ask my question <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, I, I mentioned probably a few months ago that one of my players died in the fight with Orcus but was saved by, hit, by Frazer Blue. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has come back. It's been 50 years for him. He spent 50 years in hell retraining. And now he's a wizard, uh, an illusionist, 
appropriately for Frazer Blue, who's the demon lord of like illusions and deception and whatever. Uh, but now what the rest of the party doesn't know is that he, while he's back, he has to like collect these various things to do this ritual for Frazer Blue. And it occurred to me uh, this last week, well, Frazer Blue told him that was a ritual that would allow him free reign through the prime material plane. But mm-hmm. Frazer Blue is a demon lord of deception. So I'm, I'm like, well, that's what he's being told it's for, but surely it's for something else because he's a demon lord of deception. Why would he tell the truth, right? Mm-hmm. So so I'm cu- I have some ideas, but I'm curious, what do you think he actually wants? Frazer Blue? Yeah. Hmm. If he doesn't want just free reign uh, through the, the prime material plane, what does he want? I don't know. Hmm. A champion in the prime material plane? An agent? Okay. I mean, he's a demon, right? Demon lord, yeah. yeah. So let's go. Let's look up Frazer Blue and read their text. Well, and you um, you talked to you said you looked him up at one point on on the his entry in out of the abyss, and there's stuff on there about how he wants a staff of power or whatever. But that doesn't seem uh, a worthy target for for something like this, right? So, yeah, and uh, of course, I'm trying to find uh, I'm trying to look up more text that D and D Beyond would have about Fraser Blue to see if there's more to him than just deception. Uh, illusion is his big thing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, my thought at this point is so the the big bad that they're going after eventually is is Miska the Wolf Spider, right? Which is the mm-hmm. same, you know. It's the it's the typical sort of generic evil and chaos that was so horrible and and destructive that all of the gods, including the evil ones, banded together in order to to, to chain him up and, because nobody could could kill him, right? Uh, and the Queen of Chaos is, is trying to get him freed, and that's what the Ride of Seven Parts is for. It's the key to open his prison and all this stuff, right? So my, my thought at this point is that Frazer Blue knows what they're what they're up to and what they're up against, and that they'll eventually end up against this god. Um, so that when he's summoned, I was thinking maybe he's not summoned summoned so much as he sort of rides shotgun along the soul of that character who then sort of becomes his champion and that can pull out the Morden Kanan's Tome of Foes sort of blessing right. rules because there's blessings for, for demon lords including Frazer Blue listed there so you know suddenly he gets all of these blessings because what he doesn't realize is that there's a voice in his head and that voice in his head is actually Frazer Blue himself who's right. just waiting for the opportunity for the end of the entire campaign hey good job you've killed Miska the Wolf Spider and then Frazer Blue comes up comes out and, and absorbs all of his divine energy and becomes the new you know god of chaos or whatever you know um, so that was my current thinking is to make it that way, but but you guys are, you know, have lots yeah, of I mean, good ideas. So I wanted Frez, to... Frez Urblu, so it sounds like one of the things he likes to do is to put on the masks of other gods, like, get, mm. you know, and so the idea, if he can get the character to sort of create one of these new god, you know, god personas mm. and, and, and open up a new church and get followers and the followers all think they're doing the right thing, but really they're supporting Frez Urblu. Mm-hmm. That would, that would certainly fit mm-hmm. his his goal. His right. Movie, that yeah. what what he wants is another. Maybe like he's run out of churches, or now that you know he, he needs more cultists. Yeah, since there's been a, um, you know, since the demon lords have all come to the prime plane, he needs a new one, right? Sort of like a a new backup. Okay. 
right? He wants to create this new persona that will that will fuel him and protect him. Maybe he uses it like a shield. Mm-hmm. Well, he did that for a long time with with the character. He was sort of this voice in his head. Yeah, but maybe he you know maybe he's kind of tired of that. And now he mm-hmm. wants a, you know, he wants something a little bit more permanent. Yeah. Sam, ideas? Sam, are you there? Sorry, I was. Oh, there you are. I don't know. I've never really dealt with Frazzer Blue. Um, I I feel like. I haven't either, which is why I think it took me like two months of playing with him before I realized, oh, no, of course that's not what he really wants because he's a Demon Lord of Deception, right? (laughs) Right. So, you know, the thing is, like, he's the Demon Lord of Deception, which means if you think about it sort of from the the sort of godlike perspective, he wants to sow deception. So, you know, uh, the idea of him having a champion of deception who who isn't like a champion as in a warrior or somebody who goes around and fights and tries to gather an army for, for Frazer Blue, but mm-hmm. more someone who goes and, and trains people. Uh, you know, weak-minded humanoids in how to deceive their fellow um, and and tries to influence the sort of weaker creatures, nations by doing that sort mm-hmm. of snake tongue kind of mm-hmm. thing. You know, uh, things like that are probably closer to what I would do uh, mm-hmm. with what he actually wants. And, you know, he may or, you know, it might, there doesn't have to be a giant plot. It just... Having no. more deception into the world, you know, adding more deception onto the material plane mm-hmm. is is enough to feed his ego, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and those who who pull off a, a, an exceptional deception get his favor and uh, are you know put forth as these are champion, these are his champions, and they will get boons and mm-hmm. they will go on and become, you know, able to influence more powerful spheres of, of, you know, uh, of, yeah. of the weak minded ones. Right. I mean, so I don't, I don't know. What does he want? I, I, I think, <laughs> I think there's, you're not, you're not meant to know. Right. Yeah. There's also a part where like, he's a demon, not a devil. Right. So, you know, don't overthink it. Right. right. Like the, the right. devil, the devils have super articulate, intricate plans with contracts. Right. 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 Demons I'm, just like screwing around. I, I'm inclined at this point to actually take your ideas and merge them with the idea that I'd mentioned earlier. And that I think when he's summoned, he'll actually be summoned, but he's summoned sort of in soul form and attaches himself to the character who becomes sort of the champion. But then, uh, along with those blessings, I'll give that character, because then it's character driven, right? It's, it's something that the PCs are doing. I'll have them pick up these flaws that make them do these other things that you're talking about, right? I'll have one, you know, he'll have to constantly be attempting to sow deception and he'll have to try to be building a, a cult following to Frazer Blue the whole time. So all the time they're running around doing things, he's always sort of off to the side doing this other stuff um, that will continue to make that a thing, but it's not the main thrust of the story. So cool. Thanks for the help. I think we'll, we'll yeah, play with that. And I see feel what like I didn't help much, but I mean, you know, there doesn't always have to be no. like a giant, you know, a giant. No, focus. and I and I like I said, I'm trying to move a little faster through the campaign. So the last thing I need is to add a whole other campaign thing, you know. So I was hoping just something, something you know, significant enough for a demon lord, but at the same time, like that wasn't going to dramatically add to this to the the length of the campaign. So right. I think that's a good place to go. Uh, we're going to go ahead and call it an end of the episode then. We have gone in, in exceptionally long. 
Uh, considering we each get 15 minutes, we have somehow managed to talk for an hour and 20. <laughs> so yep. uh, so there goes. we are. Uh, I'm going to thank all of you for listening to us. Uh, I've mentioned our two sponsors, Noble Knight and Dice Envy. Please check them out and let them know that the Tome Show sent you. But if you want to support the show in other ways, you can go to Amazon or DMs Guild through the affiliate links at thetomeshow.com. And you can become a patron over at patreon.com slash thetomeshow where you can support us directly uh, and, and get an inside peek into sort of what we're looking at and what we're thinking about over there. Uh, anyway, I think that's the end. So uh, say goodbye, guys. Bye. Bye, guys.